This is Live from the Table, recorded at the world-famous Comedy Cellar here in Greenwich Village, New York City. Coming at you on the Sirius XM 99 Raw Dog channel and the Laugh Button Podcast Network. Dan Natterman here. Back from Aruba. Tan. Uh, I was back last week, too, I guess. Yeah, you were But my tan back. is still here. Uh, Noam Dorman, of course, owner of the world-famous comedy seller, Periel Ashenbrand, is with us. She is the producer, and not just a producer, but she has somehow managed to become a on-air personality as well. And again, it didn't start off that way, but it just, it just sort of started talking. Has the show gotten better we, or worse? We didn't, uh, we didn't say anything. Uh, we hear- okay, send your emails to podcast at commieseller.com. Please. And, and, and if you turn the show off before you finish listening to it, Tell us the last thing you heard before you said you had enough. Podcast <laughs> at ComedyCellar.com. Well, we could use constructive criticism or just compliments. Just anything you like about the show. Help help you, help uh, help us help you to get a better podcasting experience. We also have with us Nick Griffin, Comedy Cellar regular for a number oh, of years. That's Nick told me something a little bit disturbing before the podcast. I, I think it's worth discussing. Oh, no. He feels obligated to do this podcast. That's so, not true. I said I'd turned uh, Periel down three times, and then I uh, I felt, yeah, I did feel like I should definitely do this one. Well, you're certainly not doing me a favor. Yeah. We, we need to yeah. highlight that. We thought we were doing you, you a favor. Howard Stern <laughs> trying to get me? Uh, no, because it, what you're saying is it has no basis. No, no. Noam doesn't care whether you do it or you don't. Noam didn't even know I asked it's you. It's not going to affect anything <laughs> no, regarding your, your spots here. Listen, this is the thing. I tell people. I shouldn't eat on the air. I know. It's really, what is going on over there? He's like All a right, pile you don't, you don't of fucking pita. That heated up about it. I don't like to ask. I, I told Juanita in the car the other day. I said, if I'm going to teach my kids one thing in life, I want them to try to go through their entire life without ever asking anybody for a favor. Just like, just see if you could just never ask anybody for a favor. Not even within the family? Well, that's not as bad, but he, preferably not even with, within the family. I mean, they can ask me for a favor. That's different. I'm their parent. That's not a favor. Um, because when you ask somebody for a favor, it's, it's just, it's a drag. And it's it's 10 times worse. And I know this. I, try, I tell you guys this all the time. I don't like to ask comedians for anything, not to do the podcast, anything. Because it's, as Louis famously said, when he... He realized that when he asked girls to masturbate in front of him, if he could masturbate in front of them, it's, it's not a question, it's a predicament. This is what he wrote in his apology letter. But that was the smartest thing he, he wrote in that whole apology. And it's true. <laughs> and I know that when I ask people something, it's yeah. not a question, it's a predicament. So I don't want to ask them for anything. Well, the other big thing that we were talking about before um, we came up here, after I said, oh, I feel uncomfortable on the show, I, I've already said no three times, was also that I don't know anything about anything. I got like, we I, know I, that, Nick. Okay. <laughs> is that, as long as that's clear up front. Well, also, Nick, oftentimes I want you on this show, be, but but the, the problem is, is, is Noam and me, are, we're basically doing two different podcasts. I'm trying to emphasize, if not outright comedy, at least a more comedic <clears throat> approach. Whereas Noam fancies himself sort of... Um, I don't know if Charlie Rose is the right word, but he really he really tries to get. First of all, fancies himself sounds snide. You could say I, either I am or I'm not. If I fancy myself, he, it means I'm not really. Like he fancies <laughs> himself a musician. He thinks he is. <laughs> well, in any case, he likes to get more into real serious talk about weighty issues, and oftentimes gets into great detail that I 
don't know what he's talking about oftentimes. <laughs> and, 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 and oftentimes the comedy guest doesn't know. Okay. Can I explain? Can I, can, can I really give you a big picture? It might be interesting to you. Podcast at ComedySettle.com. Last thing you said, last thing you heard before you turned it off. Um, I'm having a pretty happy life in general. That's awesome. And, I mean, you know, t- text messaging and smartphones ruining it not, notwithstanding. And, <clears throat> and one of the reasons is because basically since I graduated law school and didn't practice law, I have not spent any time doing anything that I didn't want to do because it interested me. It was playing music, wh- whatever it is. And the podcast, although I'd like the podcast to be more successful, and really, I, I thought at times I should really, because I think it, I definitely could make it more successful. But the main reason I like to do the podcast is to talk to interesting people. Like me. And um, so, yeah, I, I, like, I like to bring these journalists in, whatever it is, because I find that interesting. It's not because I fancy myself anything or anything like that. It's just like, well, I'm doing something because what do I want to do with my life? You know, the clock's ticking, Dan. We haven't got much longer. It goes like that. Well, I'm intermittent fasting, so I expect to <laughs> to be around for quite a while. For, for some time. So like so like, you know, Alan Dershowitz. Also, Dershow- I floss, which apparently adds another year to your life. A guy like Alan Dershowitz. I know people don't like Alan Dershowitz, but just his first name that comes to mind, you know. Um, you know, he's this famous guy. We grew up in his movies, he's the famous lawyer, you know, and he ta- and he has an, an opinion. He's one of the smartest people there is, and whether you agree with him or don't agree with him. And because of the podcast, I'm able to have Periel call Alan Dershowitz, and he'll come in here and he'll talk to me about something. I thought that was just because he likes me. Did he um, feel that Sean Penn based that character, that lawyer character in... Um, Carlitos' way? Carlitos' way on him. Jesus Christ, Nick. Was that one of the podcasts you turned down? That's a good question. <laughs> you say you don't know anything. That would have uh, been fantastic, that's fantastic to ask you. Uh, that's all yeah, I but I didn't see it. That, Jew- that Jewish Sean, well, Sean Penn character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, just I, the I, hair and the, maybe the look. Not a, not the behavior. Yeah, I didn't perceive it as as other than the no, fact but that non-Jewish. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you're not Jewish, <laughs> you lump us all together. But I didn't perceive. I personally didn't perceive no, it as as Dershowitz esque, a Dershowitz esque character. Um, but um, our friend Gary Goleman, uh, when he he he, uh, he jokingly compiled a list called the Kikes, which is the award for the most Jew. Jewish stereotypical <laughs> Jewish character in the movies, and that's one of his top picks. The, who were the other ones? The, the guy who runs the bazaar in the, the Star guy, Wars movie. The, the no, mom. the guy, uh, oh. James Woods character, I think in uh, Casino. Um, Penny jo- and John Turturro gets a lifetime achievement. James Woods doesn't play a Jewish character in Casino, does he? I think so. Yeah, he plays the the boy boyfriend. He's not something Jewish. diamond. I never thought of him as Jewish. But I, that, know, I don't think he was Jewish. Oh well, I, I thought that he was. He, his, last name was his, his last name was Diamond. So um, also, I mean, I think the 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 probably the number one stereotypical Jewish role in film history goes back many many years to March of the Wooden Soldiers with um, Laurel and Hardy, the character of Barnaby, who was like the old landlord that was trying to evict Bo Peep from her Barnabas, shoe. Barnab- Barnabas. Barnabas. Maybe he was trying to evict Bo Peep from her shoe. <laughs> Not Bo Peep, but Little Miss. Whoever lived in the shoe. Little Miss, no. Old Mother Hubbard. Old Mother Hubbard. Yeah, and and but Mother Hubbard's daughter was Bo Peep, <laughs> and he was like, but perhaps if your young daughter would be uh, nice to me, perhaps we could work something out. So, so I read uh, in a, in a in a book um, that the very first million selling record was a comedy record of, of a a guy doing a Jew, like a whole bit about a Jewish landlord. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, I, I can't remember the name of it. This is this. It's funny. It wasn't. Uh, yeah. I'm- 
I was trying to think of the uh, album, but I can't think of. Anyway, it. anyway, uh, getting back to me. So that's um, so we have. We that's have, what I want to do. Okay, I, I, and I understand that. Yeah. So I, my choice of words was perhaps inappropriate. Not that, that inappropriate. you fancy yourself. Although I did think you fancy yourself, uh, uh, and 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 rightly so. And by the way, I've said many, many times, you have. A, a, an intellectual of some weight, and I've I've credited you for being. I think just as insightful as. You have, Dan, and uh, I appreciate it. Ben Shapiro, for example. But even if, <laughs> even if, even if, well, you took out a backhanded compliment. <laughs> now, Ben Shapiro's a smart dude, but um, I listen to him sometime in the car. I know, but he's loathsome. Can we pick somebody else? Well, you know what? I didn't use to find him loathsome when Trump was president because he was a good devil's advocate for, at a time when it was like a hysteria against Trump that was, you know, warranted by Trump's being, you know, a, a, a disgusting character, but wasn't warranted in terms of the facts sometimes. But now, since Biden's president... He's loathsome. He's, I've been saying it from You don't one. even listen to him. You don't... He is disgusting. He says horrible things about gay people, about trans oh, people. God. Can't okay. we pick somebody a little bit, like, maybe more like Bill Maher? Nick DiPaolo? Nick DiPaolo, yeah. I guess <laughs> Sam Harris would be, then, a, a more appropriate comparison. Okay. Sam Harris, I'll take. Or what about Bill Maher? That's a who, good one. Who has the highest ratio of strong opinions to lack of knowledge in, in, you've ever met? <laughs> it's got to be Periel. Like, she literally has the most strong opinions. I mean, they're so strong that basically every opinion is on 10. It doesn't even... Like, it doesn't even there really is no fine gradations in her opinions. This is basically buying everybody's either loathsome Frank, or, brilliant. or fantastic. No, brilliant. A genius. <laughs> yeah, you may be right. You, you, she, may, she may have that highest ratio. You must give her credit, though, for all this uh, fundraising she's doing. For oh, well, why no, don't I don't. I give her credit for virtue signaling. Well, why don't we talk? I have some for letting us know that she's doing yeah. it. Let, what's the cause that, that everybody's worried about? Oh, uh, let me make sure that everybody knows I'm raising money for the Ukrainian people. You can say that, but, you know. Now, Periel um, is raising money for, for Ukraine. She's I see her on uh, Instagram yes, with all her photos and... With all the stuff she's sending over there, uh, Periel, do you have a particular connection to this cause, or it's just my supers from Ukraine? Well, and that's that I, I find it hard it's to believe. It's white the, people. That's what I think. She's she's racist. Actually, we're making boxes just for the Africans in Ukraine. <laughs> that's not, not bad. She's sending tampons to the Ukrainian women. That's literally what she's we, doing. No, I don't have any connection. I'm like, that's to not a it. joke. Okay, yeah. I well, mean, I well we're actually here. getting lists from specific places in Ukraine of what they're asking in those cities. Wise ass, and some people are asking for tampons. Okay, then let, me, let me let me make a let me make a point. At any given time, there's the cause that everybody's worried about. Mm -hmm. And um, it would be wrong to think that because it's the cause of the day, mm -hmm. that it's actually more serious than things that go on all over the world all the time. Agreed. There's people starving, star wait, like starving to death mm -hmm. in various places. In the yeah. same place for long, long, long periods of time. Forever. And hello, sir. Hello. Come on in. And, and why not do this? When there's a cause in the news like Ukraine... Why not say to yourself, you know what? Everybody is raising money for Ukraine now. Why don't I I raise money for one of those causes that nobody seems to care about? Come on in, sir. Where's he going to sit? sit here? Right there, and the, the that, guest that of nobody honor. nobody cares about. Raise money for the people in. I, I mean, I'm I, I might not be correct. Rwanda or or it, it, where there's people starving. Nobody's starving in Rwanda. That's number one. Number two, the answer is, is that this. true? 
Well, I have no we don't idea. Know. <laughs> I'm saying it's like, let me just, let me just, oh, there's a, there's a thing that everybody's talking about. Let me go get boxes and Instagram about it. It, it, it I mean, maybe you're are not. You, are you on Instagram? Maybe or are you just taking this as hearsay? I just have assume. Because seen... <laughs> I, I just told him. Maybe, um, maybe you're not virtue signaling. But it really does feel like your virtue signaling. Okay, first of all, as I've said numerous times on the show, I could cure childhood cancer and no one would find some way of why it's, you know, self-serving or obnoxious or virtue signaling. Let me. Let it me, is a bandwagon let thing me, about what okay, you're raising money for. Listen to me. I wasn't trying to raise money and I'm still, I'm actually not raising money. My super put bins in our building asking, and the building sends out an email asking for donations. I am the second grade mom of my son's school yeah. or class, and I said, can we put some bins out in front of school and have the kids bring stuff? And then it just spiraled out of control, and I can't help it if, you know, I'm popular and people trust me. <laughs> And I do a fucking good job. I sent 61 boxes with a crew of volunteer moms today that are on their fucking way to Odessa. Don't roll your eyes. What are you doing? Complaining about getting too many text messages? Okay. Well, look, it's, obviously it's, it's better It's better to do something <laughs> than nothing. Uh, Michael, Mailer is, Michael Mailer is with us. Hi, Michael. Hello. Hi, Michael. How do you do? He and this uh, he's been working extensively in the indie film world since graduating Harvard, very prestigious. Harvard. Um that's a Don't school, hold it against me. That's a school in Cambridge, Mass. Dan only got into Penn. I didn't apply to Harvard, but one can assume I wouldn't have gotten in <laughs> had I done so. Uh he's uh gone on to produce over 25 feature films including A Fool and His Money with Sandra Bullock and George Plimpton. Other films include uh Seduced and Abandoned. And um, what other films have they? Are you uh, stumped? He's very, very. Uh, we're, blind. We're really on it. Huh? Uh, I directed a film called Blind uh, with Alec Baldwin and Demi Moore. Um, I did a film called Heart of Champions, where in fact Harvard was the bad guy. It's a rowing movie um, with Michael Shannon. I just wrapped a film uh, with Morgan Freeman called The Minute You Wake Up Dead. So I, 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 you came on my radar because I wanted to talk to you about the, 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 the book that was, uh, that they was a Random House declined to, to publish. Yes. But just before you do that, because you mentioned Alec Baldwin and you, and you're into films, you have a, you have a take on um, Alec Baldwin and that gun thing. Oh, I don't know if I want to weigh into that. I mean, I, you know, I, I do listen. I've been around guns on sets, and there's a very strict protocol, which obviously wasn't being followed. You know, I, I don't, I can't put the blame on Alec for what happened. I mean, it was a series of events and, you know, it was just a tragic accident. And I, you know, I tend to, I, I didn't, I don't put the blame on him and I tended to be very sympathetic to him. And, and even as I'm saying it, maybe this is even fair, but until he's, until he came out with this, I never pulled the trigger. It went off on its own uh, two months after it happened or something. But then, you know, it's easy for me to judge. I mean, he's trying to keep himself out of big trouble. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to parse the nuances of, you know, how he's defending himself, but I, I it just, it was a series of, of mishaps that just led to this brutal accident and yeah. should never have happened. Yeah. Um, you should try not to be judgmental, Periol, you know, uh, I know it's hard for you, but you should really imagine yourself in other people's shoes. All right. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, so can you, can you, now I had a big argument with a, I don't want to say his name on the air, but is a, is a, 
important intellectual who would not believe that this story, I'll let you tell the story about your dad's book that they declined to, to publish your dad's book. You want, you want to bring us up on that story? Sure. I mean, it, it, um, his centenary is next year. Random House asked us to put together a proposal for a collection of essays, uh, political essays, sort of outlining um, the fragility of democracy, which we're all experiencing in one form or another now. And uh, the proposal was very well received and, you know, things looked like they were marching forward. We didn't have anything in writing, but uh, a couple of weeks thereafter, um, they just decided not to go forward. And you think that's because? Well, you know, our the agent to the estate, you know, told us that there were some issues with some junior executives who were opposed to um, the idea of publishing Norman Mailer because of his past, you know, issues with the women's movement and the use of the word uh, Negro in his seminal essay, White Negro. That, uh, that, that was the main, well, that, that was what I read was the main thing, the use of the word Negro. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it, you know, it's it, it's all hearsay because I never had direct conversations with anyone at Random House about it, but they were going forward and all of a sudden they weren't. So clearly someone got scared. So Michael Wolf, is that the name? Yes, he wrote he wrote it up, and 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 he's not that reliable. I think we we know that. But af- after hearing Random House's denial, it was it, it was if you parse it, they weren't. It wasn't actually directly denying it, and it didn't seem it wasn't convincing to me that that Wolf's story wasn't accurate. But then Wolf didn't defend himself on it really. Wolf just dropped it. So then I began to think, well, maybe he did. Um, no, it was a fairly accurate accounting of what happened. It was. Yeah. So and and at the same time you you're railing against this kind of wokeness and political correctness. So how does it all tie? Yeah, I mean, listen, I was so um, disturbed by these trends that are happening. I mean, you know, publishing is is the last refuge of democracy. Um, if you can't, if you're afraid to to publish ideas and to create an exchange of ideas. Where are we culturally as a country? Um, and I just, you know, the trend is very dangerous. I mean, it's it's cultural fascism is what it is. Well, what did you think about when Woody Allen's um, autobiography, Apropos of Nothing, I believe it was called, yeah. was rejected by uh, by his publishing house, and he had to go to, with, a, with a smaller independent uh, publisher? Yeah, I, I mean, listen, my, my feeling is if you don't approve of him, don't buy his book, but don't tell other people what they can or cannot read. Well, and with your dad, so so this essay, White Negro, what what was it about? In, in, you know, it was a seminal essay you know, published. Him and James Baldwin was that it was something was it something to do with James Baldwin or no? Um, I mean, I I think they had a friendly um, disagreement about the, the the substance of the piece, but it was basically um, uh, an essay comparing the the statistical um, tragedy of the Holocaust to the black experience in America and how hipsterism kind of evolved out of this need to find personal expression against the overwhelming conformity of, of the Eisenhower era. And at the time it came out, he was, he was considered, um, uh, in good standing with, with liberal people, uh, right. And he wasn't, yeah, I mean, and they're judging it now by a standard that didn't exist at the time and trying to rewrite his whole, like where he's yeah, where he's, we're 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 entering the the cultural dark ages right now, where you know books are being taken off of library shelves. You know, I mean, it's a matter of time before they remove Mark Twain. Um, 
you know, it's, it's, uh, or take down Picasso's from, you know, museum walls because, you know, he mistreated his, the women in his life. I mean, I, I don't, you know, again, it's, it's, this, we should be living in a free exchange of ideas as long as those ideas are not promoting, you know, overt violence. There's no reason to censor anything, frankly. And I, and I just think it's, it's a very slippery slope when you start doing that. And I don't have a very optimistic view of where we're going. You agree with that, Periel? Absolutely, 100%. But she's kind of, she's kind of woke, but she's, she's a rare species of woke because she agrees with everything woke, except that she's not censorious. Is that the word? She's, she's not, she, doesn't get, she doesn't object to people being able to say what they want. And she also has a soft spot for um, men who take liberties with women. <laughs> 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 I have to say it. Yeah. I can't put it any other way. She actually does because she has some stories she tells where men took liberties with her and she was turned on by it. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> am I, is that my being unfair? No, you're not. But it was, sort, you know, it was sort of invited, you know, like I don't I was never really taken advantage of by any of those men. And A famous man without asking, put his hands I, I, don't, I can't even say it. I'm, I mean, I, I say blush. it on stage. You can say it. Well, you oh, say you... it. You say it. Well, you started it, so say it. What, now <laughs> this is where your line is? the podcast. Get to it. Anyway, say it real quick. Say it, say it. Uh, a famous musician. He's dead. You could say his Lou name. Reed Lou Reed. Put his hand in my underwear. And I have a whole bit where I say it was so uncalled for and so inappropriate. And I really liked it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> <laughs> so she's setting the cause of... Of women, back. yeah, but uh, yeah, we anyway, we don't. I know how did I never hear that story? Well, you usually don't stay in the room when I get on stage. Ah, yes, <laughs> so now there's something else. Um, I don't know that much about you, but there's so I and you don't know about me, but I had a very, very um, kind of larger than life father figure, and that was that was tough. And I and I but I managed it all right. A, a lot of children don't. You had a huger than life father figure how is it what what kind of scars did that did that leave on you how, how did you manage that you know it's when you have a father like norman mailer there's very little you can rebel against so i i you know it, listen i i you know it's a it's a hard comparison to make because it's all i knew growing up and you know my father wasn't around that much when I was young, you know, I really got to know him in my teens when I moved back to New York to live with him. But, um, you know, before he died, he said to me, I cannot have been the writer that I am today and have been more of a father to you. And I, you know, I, I understood that and forgave him and said, you know, I'll take quality over quantity any day of the week. How, uh, how old was, were you when he kind of had become a big thing i mean was he at any i, I mean he, he became ever... a big thing long before i was born oh okay yeah, yeah. but I, I mean i you know listen i grew up in a small town in cape cod uh, you know i had no idea really who he was you know in a larger cultural sense I mean, right i don't think kids really know that right like you just know that it's your dad you don't understand. exactly yeah exactly and and you know maybe you were better off for that you know, okay, I'm going to make an analogy. Don't get upset about it. It's just an analogy. But there was a study that came out yesterday, the day before, that that the conclusion was that the Japanese who were interned during World War II actually ended up being much more successful financially because apparently this internment broke the cycle of their life and, and wound up in some way 
benefiting them. I'm sure they wouldn't, if they had it to do over, they wouldn't want to be interned. And of course, we shouldn't have interned them. But it was this odd thing that actually, according to the study, according to empirical evidence, they benefited in some way. You would you would say, no, I want my dad. But in some way, maybe you did benefit because you didn't. You weren't smothered in that way, you know, by having this huge figure there soaking up all the attention all the time, and you can you were kind of free, maybe just to be yourself and grow up. Sure, I mean, you know, you could certainly look at it that way. I, I you know, I, you know, as I said, I, I got to know him really in my teens, and then, um, you know, his he had a love for boxing. So, you know, when I was five, he gave me a pair of boxing gloves and said, "This is your sport." And you know, we, you know, up until again, I, I spent quality time with him. It was sort of the way we communicated with each other. It was in the ring, yeah. Didn't he get in the ring with somebody famous? Um, yeah, he uh, um, he was very good friends with Jose Torres, who was the former light heavyweight champion of the world. And I think they sparred actually on uh, one of the talk shows at the time, Dick Cavett, or hilarious, or, or uh, yeah, Buckley or something. Um, but I, I uh, yeah, it was it was. Kind of our way of uh, relating to each other before I became verbal enough to take it to another level. I mean, he was awesome, and there's a documentary about Norm Miller. And but anytime you see him on TV, like was it with, with was it with Gore Vidal? He was debating on Dick Cavett or something. Yeah, he had a very uh, pugnacious relationship with a lot of his writer buddies, and you know yeah. they were you know constantly falling in and out of friendships. But you know Gore was one of them, though, though they became very good friends towards the end. Um, Full charisma. Yeah, yeah. Buckley, you know, he he. I remember. Baited Buckley often. Uh, was it um, was it uh, Sasha Baron Cohen as as one yes. of his characters that interviewed yes. Gore Vidal yes. and said yes. something about your hair product? <laughs> yes. He's, he's, he was he's talking like, about Vidal Sassoon. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. I guess that was. Uh, I think that was the Ali G character. Yeah. 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 I, I think he rolled with it pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> I read it, and I don't want to talk about your father all the time. But I, I read most of the Executioner song, and I didn't, and I didn't put it down because I got bored of it or anything. It's just that uh, I think COVID ended, and you know. But, but I mean, he's it's, it's a great writer. Yeah, I, I learned about sex through that book. I mean, it was oh, yeah. There's, yeah. There's a lot of. Sex. I mean, there's a lot of intimate sex in that book, and it's. Uh, you know, my young teenage brain just soaked it in. <laughs> well, if you enjoy uh, uh, books about sex, uh, our own Perry Alashen brand has written two. <laughs> That's right. Uh, on My Knees, and the only bu- bush I trust is my own. These are memoirs of uh, her sexual adventures not, as a young lady in, in New York. They're not just sexual adventures. But rest assured, sexual adventures are uh, yes, play, play a they role. Yes, they do play We never asked you that. Do you have a number? No, I don't. Well, you have one. You have one. I have no idea. <laughs> no, no, I have no idea. It's so high that I couldn't. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I don't. I have no Is it high? Because no, you, you, you pretend like you might. it might be high. I don't pretend anything. You guys have right, decided right. that, like. We let our mind race. Yeah. Well, who counts anyway? Well, I have I have a list. <laughs> Dan does. I have a list at home uh, of all of my conquests. Do you? Yeah, and it's not that long. And the receipts? <laughs> not that long. No, there's no receipts. That's very Jewish of you. <laughs> there are no receipts, but but um, but I, but actually, I don't list those. But um, there is just a you know some of them I don't even have names. I'll just have girl from Cincinnati, you know, um, that I met because I don't remember. But um, it's about thirty. By the way, Dan wrote a book too. Dan wrote a novel. Uh, it's it's excellent. You, you should get him a copy. 
Well, I'm happy to do so. Okay. I'm, I'm happy film, to read it. He's a film producer. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll tell you what, I will actually buy it on Amazon and add to your bottom line. No, no, he'll uh, give you a bottom copy. Line. <laughs> Dan's <laughs> like, no, no, what am I on Amazon? Yeah. <laughs> it's called, well, I, I make an entire $4 a copy. It's called Iris Spiro Before COVID. It, oh, is, okay. um, it is a novel uh, with some autobiographical, uh, you know, elements to it and, and and not just that, but uh, there's people in the comedy world because it takes place in the comedy world. So Noam is in it in a in a veiled way, or not so veiled <laughs> in a, way, in a veiled, unsubtle <laughs> way, um, as the comedy club owner. <laughs> it's really uh... and right. go ahead. Yeah. So 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 since you brought it up, I'm so so getting back to the cultural fascism, which is an issue that we all care about. Um, what are we doing to change it? What's your what? Just sit back and no, I I think you know. I mean, people have to speak out against it. I mean, I, I, you know, I wrote a editorial. It got picked up by the Spectator and then the Boston Globe. You know, um, I mean, you know, not that it's going to move the needle, but I think you know, people speaking out against it, um, people writing about it. You know, it's you know, you, you need to create the ripples that lead to a wave of change um, well, before it's too late. And, and some people would argue that it is already too late. I mean. You know, when you have someone like Random House declining to publish one of their longstanding authors' collection of essays, you know, there's, there's something what, inimical should, about that. It's what crazy. should be? What should be the like? A publishing company obviously doesn't have to publish everything that comes across their desk. They and they don't have to, and they can certainly drop, uh, you know, authors if they wish. What should be their criteria if they feel that business is going to suffer because of a backlash? Do they not have? Even an obligation, perhaps, toward their shareholders, if they're yeah, public. I, I, you know, I, I mean, yes, I guess you can make a financial argument um, for justifying it. Though, you know, again, it's like I, you know, controversy used to be a good thing in the publishing world. Now it's seen um, as something that that is to be avoided at all costs. Um, and they're trying to merge now with Simon Schuster, so you know they don't want anything rocking the boat, and um, it's just too bad. I mean, they they. You know, back in the McCarthy era, when everyone was being canceled in Hollywood, you know, they tried to cancel writers like my dad, and the publisher was like, "No, we're going to keep publishing." Right, and they exactly. stood up to it. And it's, you know, enough people stand up to it, you you can affect change. But people I, are I, afraid. I but mean, no, no, uh, uh, you know, um, has really the same the same uh, issue with booking comedians because they're well, Louis C.K. for example, was a controversial figure, and Noam had to make the decision whether or not to book him. And Noam chose to book him. However, Noam has said that if the crowd reacted in such a way that business was was affected negatively, he he wouldn't have booked him. You know, at some I, but point. But I'm sure it wasn't affected. I'm sure you had a sold out house. And again, it's like if you disapprove him, don't don't go see a show. I mean, I, I don't come closer to the mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen. So so you've made that argument many times, and but I have to say that, and I think you agree with me. I don't really think these companies are making financial decisions. I think that, um, I, I keep going back to what, when Barry Weiss re resigned from the Times, she said that the uh, Twitter had become the editor-in-chief of the New York Times. Twitter has, I don't, as, as much as we understand that Twitter is influential, I don't think people have fully um, integrated into their heads how much influence this thing has. And the, these executives just want to be able to go to cocktail parties and hang out with their peers and not have somebody, you know, book Norman Mailer or wrote Norman. I don't think it's financial at all. I think it's all about wanting to be on the right side of social pressures. 
Like, I mean, to say, like, so Spotify, I mean, this Joe Rogan thing was huge. He referred to black people as Planet of the Apes, right? They stood by him. They suffered no business repercussions. At least I haven't seen any. So why would anybody think Random House would suffer business repercussions for publishing Norman Mailer of all people? I, I don't, you know, I don't think they would have, but whatever. I, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I don't know who's pulling levers in the, you know, the, the higher corporate offices when it comes to this stuff. I, I just think it's a dangerous uh, trend. And, uh, and yeah, you can make an argument that they didn't see any financial gain to be had in, in or, or upside to be had in publishing them. But I, I you know, again, as to your point, I, I just think it's uh, a general desire to avoid any form of controversy. So and, when, uh, and it, you know, it's it's um, um, as a result, you're you're getting this kind of overt, you know, censorship of ideas. There's no longer a free market of ideas, and I just think it's very bad for our cultural identity. It's terrible. So when we, um, I noticed it with the comedians when we had this Louis controversy, um, like one or two people would tweet at a, a comedian. I don't want to mention his name. Like, why are you still working at that comedy store place? They booked Louis C.K. And the comedian freaked out and was ready to stop performing. Like, he, he panicked. About two nutty strangers on Twitter. He was so devastated. He lost all perspective. It's so The, the um, uh, asymmetric impact of these tweets was really something to see. And I get it, too, because I, I was in the center, but I, I know how it feels. And the executives at Random House are no different. I think it's, um, it's part of the reason that the Biden administration isn't seems to be in the thrall of the far left, even though politically it seems like a no-brainer for them to move to the center, given his polls, given the fact that Bill Clinton was in a similar situation and moved to the center and winded up becoming one of the most popular presidents ever. But for these people to to withstand these these tweets and the call being called racist and all this stuff, it's more than they can take. You know, I do have an analogous story yeah. before Twitter. Yeah, um, I did a joke about rape. Um, many years ago, it was hardly. It was certainly not a joke. Uh, you had a lot of jokes about rape back. No, I, I only had one. <laughs> I'd say two. Maybe. And it was certainly not a joke that uh, that advocated rape. It was my date rape joke. Yeah, uh, that you might recall. I don't. Can it was you a think? joke where yeah, I said on, date rape. You know, a date rape. I thought that meant when you force a woman to go on a date with you, <laughs> <laughs> and, you and you're like you push her into the movie theater and say, "Get in there, you whore." <laughs> but anyway, well, so it's a funny yeah. joke. <laughs> but but one person said to me, "You know, joking about rape, it's a terrible thing," and 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 I just stopped doing the joke. Now, yeah. in my case, I have such a plethora of wonderful jokes that I didn't miss it. <laughs> But but it, it but to your point the, that it was that just being accused of being in, of of something not in this case racism but but misogyny. That's a really you funny know, joke. You um, do it that was again. enough to get me to say you know what I I just don't feel like I don't want to do battle. Yeah. And 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 so I just said fuck it and I didn't tell it ever again except That's here on the crazy. show. That's crazy. That's so crazy that you stopped yeah. telling that joke cuz one person came up to you and said that it was misogynistic. And they want to believe that. They want to believe that if they say something or tweet something or fill out a comment card that Dan Natterman shouldn't be saying that 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 it'll affect that. It's it's crazy. I mean, I'm I'm the same way. I had the, a similar thing happen to me and it freaked me out for weeks. I didn't do it for weeks, but then I went back and. Started. But what was it? Was it, can you tell us what, more specifically what the nature of it was? It was a some. It was just some joke about suicide, and uh, uh, 
That's a lot of your act. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> well, your act is about de- depression plays a big role in your act. Right, yeah. But anyway, this good woman said, how could you do that? My friend killed himself two weeks ago. And I said, I, I'm sorry, I didn't know your friend. I, I, I didn't. certainly didn't have him in mind when I put this together. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was kidding for a minute, and then it, she just would not let it go. I had a lady the other night say, I never get depressed. She said, right there. There was no chair. She was just sitting right there. <laughs> She said, I never get depressed. She said it like that. Oh, that depressed me. That's how sensitive I am. She said, if I start to get down, I look at the ocean or a sunset or kids playing. Like, yeah, I guess that works for a minute, but I can't go to the park and stare at kids all day. Some guy's going to come over. Which one's yours? None of them. (laughs) Nah, it just makes me feel good. Yeah. My dad once said, beware of anyone who's incapable of being embarrassed by himself. Mm. Ah, that's a good one. And uh, we're becoming a nation of people who are terrified of being embarrassed. Yeah. I mean, there are these stories. So this guy was... McNeil, I forget the first name. Is it Don? Don, No, Don McNeil. At the Times, he got fired because... Five years prior to his firing, it, it, it came out five years later or something, that he, when somebody asked him a question and they used the N-word in the question, he repeated back the N-word in his answer. Right. Not in any kind of racist way, just said the word, you know. And, and don't forget, it, it was at a time when when people did say the word, you know, when people, you know. Um, and he got fired for Elvis that. Costello, by the way, sung the word. Remember that song, Oliver's Army? Well, so did Randy Newman, Mr. Yeah. I mean, he still hasn't get he's still gotten away with it. Randy Newman had a song called Rednecks, and he says, keeping the N-words down. He's it's a song that, that it's written from a character's point of view, from um, Huey Long or something. Yeah. But um he he's the Disney composer, and some somehow nobody's caught up with this yet. Anyway. <laughs> Until, now. Until now. Until now. <laughs> You've outed him. Shame and money. it's still on YouTube. But anyway, so McNeil got fired. That was bad enough. Then Mike Pesca, who had this um podcast on Slate called The Gist, in the Slack channel on Slate, when they were debating McNeil being fired, Mike Pesca wrote in the Slack channel, well, I think I don't think he should have been fired. I think there are times when it's appropriate in a conversation merely to say what it is you're talking about. I don't... And Pesca got fired for that. <laughs> and that can't be a business reason. Right. That is pure intimidation. Yeah, yeah. fear. Yeah. The, the employees complain. It's fear. And the and the, and it's like everybody yeah. is so afraid of being slimed because once you get that slime on you, you cannot get it off. Right. I mean, what a what a terrible time. Now they're 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 firing people who they feel might be insufficiently antagonistic to Putin. You see that they're firing ballet dancers. They're fi- it's it's madness. Wait, what? Yeah, their their story. They're they're firing people who they are finding out might be sympathetic to Russia or who's firing the some ballet company fired. Very, I, I can't remember. Uh, Sounds like a story I would tell. No, it's well, I I have I have a handful of bread, but uh, Nicole, <laughs> can, yes? can you Google that? Like fired for being insufficiently ballet dancer fired, or just fired for for uh, being um, pro Putin. And like I'm not pro Putin, but uh, like I wouldn't. I don't care if somebody. You, I don't get furious if I find out somebody else. Like I have, a, I have a really good friend who has a different take on the Russia thing. What am I going to do? 
fire him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was a time when people could really disagree. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's we're entering the French Revolution, you know. Uh, with you know Robespierre cutting off heads, and eventually the, you know the cancelers will be canceled themselves. I mean that that's where this is going. It happens all the time. By the way, speaking of uh, the French Revolution, I do have a recommendation. A lot of people um, uh, on Facebook want to know what's good to see on Netflix. Um, Bonfire of Destiny uh, on Netflix. Uh, I think that's what it's called. Um, is a very good series. Uh, I'll just that, say you have something more to say about I, it? I have very little to say about it, except that uh, people often I see on Facebook say, hey, what should I watch on Netflix? You ever see it? Uh, my- I haven't, but I, uh, you've got my curiosity. Bonfire now. of Destiny. It's about, there was this famous fire in Paris in 1897 that killed like 120 very upper-class uh, uh, Parisian women. And it, it, it's, uh, it, it talks about the aftermath of that. It's fictionalized, but based on this, this, this true event. So she, here's the first story she brought up. Denounce Putin or lose your job. Russian conductor... I want Valerie Gergiev given public ultimatum. Star conductor and close friend of Putin dropped by his management ahead of deadline to speak out or be fired from Munich Philharmonic. And, and by the way, this, this is it. It's legit. That's legit. I, it's not legit. A close friend of Putin? Done. Out. You're out. All right. So so this is how it's metastasizing. And I thought of this when Michael said, but I, um, I, f- I forgot to follow up on it. We're seeing... Companies now uh, unilaterally pulling out of Russia and all this stuff. Now, companies never did that before. And I find it hard to believe it's because they have this new um, moral compass. I think this is related to this kind of woke thing and this kind of cancel culture. Maybe in this one instance, it's a silver lining to that cloud because we're kind of happy probably to see this additional pressure put on Russia. But I have a feeling someday in the future we might regret that these companies are setting this precedent now that they have an obligation to get involved in foreign policy. I, I could see that turning out bad, not just with Israel, which is my first worry about everything in life, but um, in, in various other, other things. They, I mean, I'm happy they're, they're, that Pepsi or whatever doesn't want to sell in Russia. But they're really just doing it for the. I mean, it's, it's not going to hurt Russia, really. You know? Yeah, I, 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 that's a t- tricky one. I think to respond to. I mean, I, I, I like the fact that you know these former financial havens, you know, like Switzerland and the Caribbean islands and uh, Panama. You know, they're they're kind of closing the loopholes for uh, you know all this money that's flowing in dirty, um, but. I don't know. I, I I'm I'm I personally am appreciating the corporations withdrawing from Russia. You appreciate? It. I do. Yeah. I see it as a solidarity. I mean, I I don't. What he's doing to women and children. I mean, indiscriminately, they just bombed this maternity ward. You know. Yeah. It, it, you can't compare that to. Uh, what well, what is your friend your friend's other take? I mean, I know there are people that have other takes. I will in a second. Let's, but let me just read it. I'm 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 happy that they're pulling out as well. Sometimes good things happen for the wrong reasons. But this is, in my mind, related to the idea that everybody has to fall in line with what what the what is the accepted opinion of the day. In this, in this case, we have all, almost unanimity on the opinion of the day, so it's not our ox that's being gored. So we're kind of happy. Yeah, but, I, I I see where you're going. Yeah. I mean, I, I would draw the line on violence. 
you, you know, I mean, one should not publish something that provokes and, and suggests or, or encourages overt violence. I mean, to me, that's that's where you cross the line. But I could totally see a war between two countries where the good guys and the bad guys were not so obvious, but like the left kind of took one side because for whatever reason, because they were, let's just to be over the top, because they tend to take the side of the people of color. So the left will probably just fall in line and and other people might say, well, you know, it's not that simple. And then I could totally see all these companies feeling the pressure to do the same thing they're doing now with Russia to take the side of this. And it might actually be quite unfair because Twitter controls everything. That's just, I could be wrong. I I, I see where you're going. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, so the so the the other side of this Russia thing is that um, for a long time, a lot of very important foreign policy minds have warned us against Eastern expansion. Uh, Robert McNamara and and uh, Mearsham and um, even Kissinger to some extent have warned about poking around. Uh, in Russia's backyard, especially Ukraine, because Ukraine has a Ukraine is, has a lot of Russian people. There. I don't know the percentage, but it's um, it has always been a Siamese twin to Russia. And Putin has made it very clear how he regarded this. It's maybe more intense than our Monroe Doctrine because we don't feel kindred to to the, the country's bias. We just feel he should stay away from them, and um, we didn't heed it, and. Uh, but at the same time, apparently we had no real intention of expanding NATO into Ukraine. So it was, uh, kind of just causing trouble for no good reason. And a lot of people were not at all surprised that Russia said enough is enough. We're going to control Ukraine. Stop messing around in our backyard. Now that's not the whole story. On top of that is showing weakness, pulling out of Afghanistan as we did, letting them get away with Crimea, blah, 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 and, and maybe some of it's just happenstance, but... They should have never been allowed to get away with Crimea. That's number one. Number two is is that, like, these are fucking humanitarian war crimes. So if you want to know... Well, that, but that's post the invasion. So the other, the other thing is that we, we, we bombed Kosovo, which apparently, I looked into, was a violation of international law. It was a humanitarian mission. We all agreed to it, but the Serbs... The Russians were sympathetic to the Serbs in that in that thing, and they looked at us and said, "Well, they're a bunch of hypocrites when they when they want to do something, they go ahead and do it. Let alone bombing Iraq and whatever." And um, then we we stuck our nose in the coup that went on in Ukraine when um, Yanukovych is that his name got uh, got ousted. And there's, there's a list, there's a bill of particulars. Many of them have some legitimacy, none of which would warrant Putin invading Ukraine, but. Which would, like a friend of mine put it, it's like we knew he was holding oil in his hand, but we didn't care about waving matches around it. It's not like, you know, he had any moral right to take Ukraine. But a lot of people say, well, we should know better. You know, I, I, I don't endorse. Well, I don't know if I endorse it. None of it justifies him taking Ukraine. But, yeah, I, I thought so. So just not. Yeah, to I, I, I mean, listen, I. I, nothing justifies what yeah. what Putin is doing. I mean, it's, it is a war crime. But um, for the life of me, I don't understand why Zelensky just didn't rule out absolutely that that Ukraine would not join NATO. That's right. That I just don't understand because it just it seemed to me definitely one of his one of Putin's red lines, and uh, you know which I can 
understand from a geopolitical point of view. But, um, you know, and I don't know, frankly, if he had announced that, if it would have changed Putin's mind, because I, th I think he does see it as part of greater Russia, doesn't like an, an independent Ukraine. And that's a problem, you know. It's because... a huge problem. It's like China and Tibet. It's like you can't just go into places because you want them to be part of you if they want to be an independent country. That's right. Well, and, and there's another layer. I like having somebody here who agrees with me. There's another <laughs> layer. We all agree with you, Perio, but but it's not that simple. So, and also, I, what, what I think is interesting is that Trump came into office saying, let's essentially, let's make friends with Russia. It would be very, very good for the world if we were friends with Russia. And then he was so so soon into his administration, he was accused of being like a Russian spy. <laughs> it became almost impossible for him to do that without people saying that he's doing it because he's in bed with Putin, even though it would have been a very smart thing to do in retrospect. And it's it, there's a subtle hypocrisy that's going on that the people are so outraged at what's going on in Ukraine now. We're so adamant that Trump should absolutely not find any deal with Russia, that there should be sanctions against Russia for invading Crimea until they leave Crimea, even though we know they're never going to leave Crimea. So sanctions till the end of time. This was all unwise. So can I ask a question? And I don't want to credit Trump with being smart about it, because I don't, I don't know. He might have been, but, but that's not the point. The point is, if Trump had made some kind of deal with Russia in 2017, we, he probably could have avoided this. And he wanted to. Maybe he wouldn't have been able to, but he wanted to. Yes, go ahead. So you know nobody loathed Trump more than I did. Nobody. But <laughs> nobody. Yeah. Is, is, is it fair to say that Putin never would have done this under Trump? Like that he's, he just doesn't take Biden seriously and he never would have dared fuck around like this under Trump? Because That's your husband talking, by the way. What do you think? No, do you think? shut up. It is not my It absolutely husband. is. Don't no, lie. No, it's I know not at all. It's not at all. What do you think? I'm a moron? Like, I couldn't figure this out for myself? Well, don't answer that. <laughs> Colette, I guess, answer. Go ahead. Uh, I, I don't think uh, Putin took Trump very seriously at all. Um, wow, okay. Um, so, I, I listen, it's very possible Trump would have um, made it very clear to Zelensky and the Ukrainian people that the U.S. would not be supporting them on any level. Um, but I, I think uh, Putin's designs on Ukraine were part of a larger picture. And I, frankly, I, I don't, I, I mean, the, the NATO issue was a big issue, but I still think he would have done what he did at some point, you know, whether he delayed it a, a year or two or, or longer, who knows? But it's, it's you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a bloodthirsty act of, of, of uh, you know, an illegal war. Let, let me answer you this way. I, I tend to agree with most of what he said. I think that when Trump was president, Putin would have faced a higher degree of unsureness about what the United States reaction would have been. Whether that would have carried the day with him, we don't know. I think when, when Biden was president, he knew 100% for certain he did not have to worry about a military response to the United States of America. And he also felt he knew for certain, even though it wasn't true, that the sanctions would be weak because they've always been weak and that uh, that there wouldn't be unity from the West. So he miscalculated those things, but he felt he knew them for certain. But but definitely he he could count on a weaker response from Biden right. than he could have been sure about with Trump. 
I think that's right. Um, but he may have done it anyway. You know, I don't know. I, I th- he probably would have said, you know what? You take Cuba. It belongs to you. I'm taking Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> that's the deal. And, you know, and, and it's so, you know, it's so interesting, right? So we're all afraid of nuclear war now. Mm-hmm. And it's always Dan. Are you? <laughs> oh no! I'm 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 looking at Michael's movies. I do want oh, to discuss oh, wait, that. So I'll say this, bit. and then you bring it up. So we, I thought at the time, Dershowitz disagreed that we should have flooded the zone in Ukraine right uh, as soon as there was uh, a buildup in Ukraine. I don't know much about these things, but it seemed to me the right thing to do. Ideally, would have put some sort of trigger wires there where you have to kill Americans or you have to, before you, you go in, to give him that to think about. But I understand why that was scary to do because, well, what if he does it? It, it, could, le- it could lead maybe to a nuclear war, right? But the, the irony is, and this is one of those cognitive biases about inaction versus action, the risk of nuclear war is much higher now because of our inaction and because this thing has taken a life of its own, because he's in there now, because now we're facing him, then I think it would have really been if we had put that tripwire there. I think if we'd put that tripwire there, he probably would have found a way. And if at the same time we offered some back-channel deal, some face-saving thing, we promise you we won't have Ukraine and NATO for 50 years, and by the, and you can have Crimea, and you, you know, like Cuban Missile Crisis, kind of like double-dealing thing. That would have been the smart way to handle it, but it's scary. And the thing is that when you when you back down from these scary scenarios, you oftentimes find yourself in scarier scenarios because there's no good answers sure. when I you're mean, dealing with a Putin. Yeah, you can listen. People have made the argument that you know the Vietnam War was fought precisely to avoid uh, a nuclear Armageddon. Right. That conventional wars deter nuclear um, exchanges. You know, I, you, you can make an argument for or against that concept but you know the um yeah i, I mean listen I, I my concern is that it, it's this has been a huge embarrassment for putin and you know he's not a, the type of guy who walks away from a, a bloody nose and so i just you know i don't see where i don't see a happy ending i mean this thing okay. could go on for months and months and maybe hey. years and, and, what's and more a like- lot of people are going to die and i just don't think he really there's a off-ramp for him where he saves face. Right. That's why the nuclear thing is so scary now. Yeah. And, and if he loses badly enough, you know, this guy is, you know, megalomaniacal, which he clearly is and has messianic visions. You know, I, I could see him pressing that button. Or, or Jesus. Or, or just this. He knows he can't lose. If he loses, he's done. Yeah. Personally done. No, I, I know. And yeah. so it's, it's, you know, perhaps he's so homicidal that he's suicidal. I don't know. Go ahead, Dan. You want to talk oh, about first the of all? I, I, I'm 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 looking at his Wikipedia page, Michael's, and his date of birth, which I will not reveal. I will only say that I'm. He looks very very good. <laughs> for, for, handsome, handsome, rugged looking. He's guy. handsome. He's rugged looking, but he also nice blue looks, eyes. My Jewish blood. He looks younger. <laughs> he looks a little like Rutger Hauer. <laughs> but Jew, obviously, Jewish Rutger Hauer. Yeah. But Rutger Hauer actually played a Jew in the movie Escape from Sobibor, which I thought was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but but. Um, but uh, no, Michael doesn't look Jewish at all. He looks uh, quite, um, <laughs> as I said, like Rutger Hauer. But he looks younger than the years that uh, he's been on this planet, which I will not reveal. But uh, of not, you but, can go to Wikipedia it's not that hard himself. to find. He's, I'll just say he's about Noam's age. I'm 57. Oh. Uh, 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 uh. Um, now, so um, 
Yeah, I mean, is 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 uh, well, I'll just ask if 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 uh, you see like the film is are films a passion of yours or it's just sort of a business that you're in? Uh, no, it's a passion. I mean, there are much easier ways to make money. <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't, I mean, probably my fault is that I don't really see it enough as a business. I tend to make movies that I, that turn me on and they're not always, uh, considered commercial, um, product. So I, I, but it makes you happy, but it makes me happy. And I'd rather, you know, be passionate about what I'm doing than, you know, be bored by counting dollars. Is it yeah, is there had, a genre had... that you stay in or is it? No, I mean I'm I'm an indie guy, so yeah. I guess you could say that's my genre. But no, I I'm 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 just passionate about film and storytelling. So you know, if the story appeals to me, I'll try to make it. I mean, you know, whether it's a very dark drama or something that is very genre oriented. Are you a Godfather guy? Do you love The Godfather? Yeah, who doesn't love The Godfather? Perry Old. I like The Godfather. I thought for for just for just all out popcorn fun. Goodfellas was a better ride. Yeah, I just never. I love Goodfellas. I just. I don't know. You never watched The Godfather. I know. The Godfather's but a fine film, and perhaps I'm like sure. a cinematography, whatever the. You know what I'm saying? Cinematographically more impressive, <laughs> I guess. That's more, exactly yeah. right. Uh, but but The Godfather, you strap yourself in. You, I mean, that's like a roller coaster, and and it, you, I can you know. literally go home and watch it every night when that's I go insane. to bed. It's, it's, a, it's an epic drama that's set out over a you know. An historical time period. I mean, Goodfellas is fun to watch. Um, the first it's, half. It's it's it's. A, I think the whole thing is. Fun. Yeah, but it's it's a very kind of minute frame time frame, right? Whereas the Godfather it's not just it's expands. Not a, it's you not know, a saga. It's, it's it's you know it's an historical epic. Well, one thing about the Godfather that I just don't get is here you have this guy Waltz, this movie producer. You're a movie producer, so you get what I'm. Yeah, this might be of interest to you. Remember the guy Waltz? They come into his house. They say, you know, we want to put Johnny Fontaine in the. We want you to put Johnny, Johnny Fontaine. Fontaine never gets that film. And another thing, this guy Waltz, he knows who he's dealing with. He knows who these guys are, and yet he's got the balls to say he'll never get that part. You guinea wop. Get and I'll tell you why. You know, I mean, is that realistic? And then, uh, what, like, it was he does, the best piece of ass I ever had. I had him all over the world. Like he doesn't. But Johnny Fontaine made me look ridiculous, yeah. and a man like me cannot afford to look ridiculous. Yeah, Something right. like that. Go ahead. Go ahead. That sounds like Putin. <laughs> but 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 he knows yeah. what these people, who these people are. Okay, and and he's got, and and then he and he caves immediately as soon as they kill his horse, as if he didn't know this was coming. Cartoon. What I would I have liked to have seen. You should is, ask that question to Mario Puzo. Well, he's not around. <laughs> what I would like to have seen, I've made this point before, is for Walt to 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 call him up after they kill the horse. Walt calls up. He goes, "Oh, good one. You got me. You got me." <laughs> I'll tell you what. I am going to put Johnny Fontaine to film. But I changed the role a little bit. He plays a severed head, you cocksucker! <laughs> <laughs> and then he, yeah. and then he sends Fontaine severed head, and he really he he goes the you know yeah. I would have rather seen that. But anyway, that's not what happened in the movie. He caved I, immediately I, yeah. as if he didn't know they were going to do something like that. I, I think he was into uh, self-preservation at that point. <laughs> but why the hell was he mouthing off in the first place? He he knew what, the, what he was dealing with. Maybe he didn't know. People, listen, people can't control themselves. You think he's the first guy who mouthed off? He, he, maybe he thought he was so powerful and so prominent that nobody would touch well, him. Yeah, I mean, Hollywood back then was, you know, it was a, its own nation state. Um, and the mob never actually infiltrated Hollywood. You know, that's probably another reason why he was emboldened. But they say that they did, didn't they say that? Um, I mean, they talk, talk about Sinatra being. Uh, I mean, but he says, "Yeah, I ain't no band leader," and I heard that no, but, story. But there, were no, there was no sixth family running 
mm-hmm. California. I mean, the police were the mob. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know. What also gets me about The Godfather, I don't want to talk about it, but so if you watch Godfather 1 and Godfather 2, Al Pacino is so fantastic and he's so controlled. And then Godfather 3, it's not even doesn't even seem like the same character. Well, then he becomes the scent of a woman, Al Pacino. Yeah, but it's yeah. almost like he couldn't remember how to play uh, uh, Michael Corleone anymore. That's true. It's funny. I was reading today, as a matter of fact, an interview that Coppola did where he's bemoaning the, the, the where he's cursing the success of The Godfather because everything he did thereafter was always compared to that film. Aww. And, uh, <laughs> was you know, and he, and he could never, you know, he could never achieve equal success. And it became, you know, this bugaboo for him. Well, I have a theory about uh, uh, Coppola. Uh, now, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Brian Koppelman told me that I'm out to lunch on this. Uh, and, and I think Judd Apatow doesn't agree, but I, I think that he's a bit overrated. I think that Coppola. Yeah, I think that he was he he benefited from being a, an Italian guy from that who understood the atmosphere of the that culture very very well, and he's an artistic guy, and he was a, and he had a huge talent for capturing that atmosphere. But the script and all the classic lines; these are directly out of that book. I mean, yeah. I mean, and, and he lucked into, and, and I know he edited the script. I'm not, I'm not saying that he has zero to do. He's a, he's a fine director and, and he made a great movie, but judging by the fact that none of his films, as, as opposed to Scorsese, where one after another, diff- from different points, like you see, it's brilliant, 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 brilliant. Yeah. I mean, listen, Apocalypse Now is one of the great films of all time, I think. I, okay, well, here's here, so so. Here's my thing about Apocalypse Now. <laughs> oh, no. As a, when it comes on uh, cable, now everything's different. But but when it used to come on cable, I found I would never watch it again. I, I enjoyed it when I watched it, but it did not really. And when they released the, like the director's cut, let's forget it. Like it never, but and I think that to be a great movie. I actually think the director's cut was was not good. I mean, I, I thought it. I thought what the, the the cuts they restored were actually hurt the film. Didn't, That's often the case. Right? Same thing with Lawrence of Arabia. They, they, it was not better when they made it longer. Yeah, in fact, uh, um, I think the story is is that um, uh, Coppola's cut of The Godfather was was so uh, tight that um, that Paramount, I believe it was Paramount, made made him uh, restore you know an earlier version. Oh, really? With more footage. You know, which you never hear of. It's always the opposite. So, yeah, so I like Apocalypse Now, but I can't watch it over and over. So I would, I would say to, to, for me to consider it one of the greatest films, I have to want to watch it more. Like, I can, I can watch Gone with the Wind many, many times. I know it's not, you would never watch it. You know, it's, it's politically incorrect to watch Gone with the Wind now, <laughs> but I can watch it over and over. I, I can watch my cousin Vinny over and yeah. over. Yeah. <laughs> I can't watch Apocalypse Now over and over. But anyway, so, so Coppola made Apocalypse Now. Was, that was, very, very good. But he made a he made that movie with Robin Williams playing the overgrown kid. Was it Jack? And made the was my cousin Vinny. Was that uh, no, 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 no? He no. made the the was it Frankenstein or uh, no? That was yeah. Kenneth Branagh. Well, he did a version of Frankenstein. he did Dracula oh. or Dracula. Yes, Dra- Dracula. Dracula. Yeah, yeah. Scorsese did, did a Frankenstein thing. Or somebody. Uh, no, Branagh did. Uh, Branagh did Frankenstein. Frankenstein and uh, yeah. Yes, he did Dracula. Did. Yeah, and he did a bunch of things that were good, but not not brilliant. 
Tune in next week when Noom says uh, Van Gogh was pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, there's very few films where the script, I I think, I shouldn't say there's very few films. Scripts are really important. I mean, I'm no expert on film. But that script, that Godfather script, I mean, this is a huge thing. And... and, um, you're saying it no. was mostly the book, the the script. Yeah, it was mostly it was the book. It was a giant book. I think I think it was just a really lucky cut. It's like John and well, Paul. Well, Puzo wrote the script too, didn't he? John and Paul. No, well that's the thing. He's credited <clears throat> with the script, but if you if you've read the the book, The Godfather, it's yeah. really all, all the meat is line for line from the book. So I think it's kind of like John Lennon and Paul McCartney yeah. meeting to have a director who was so artistic and could capture that atmosphere of that book so well with someone who could write that book i think that's really what makes that movie yeah i I mean listen it's it's uh you know at at its highest level it's the perfect match between literature and 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 the visual yeah you know and and i I, listen he he thread that needle perfectly um i I don't think you're giving him enough credit yeah well you know when when you say when you say someone is overrated it it can have uh, the connotation that you don't think they're great but that's not what I mean. I just think that he they they consider him as great a director as that movie, right? And I don't think he's a director on par with that movie. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I, I mean, listen. You know, he made a lot of bad movies. Yeah. Um, this is Rutger Hauer, by the way. Oh my God! Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> does... now, now I know who my doppelganger is. So, so, so who is who, who are some other some of your favorite movies that you aspire to match the greatness of? Oh. Um... <laughs> I mean, I, you know, one of my favorite films is a little indie film called Sexy Beast. Oh, sure. I love that. Oh, that movie. was uh, Ray Wynn Stone. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, ben, and, Kingsley. and ben, Kingsley. ben Kingsley. That's right. That is That's such a good movie. Ben Kingsley, of all people, going from Gandhi to playing this um, gruesome, you know, mob killer, yeah. uh, terrifying, absolutely terrifying he also played, character is is a that was a tour great, de force. great movie. Kingsley Sexy played Beast. Kingsley played not only did he play the head Jew in Schindler's List. But he played Adolf Eichmann in that. Yes, that's right. In, I forgot yeah. the name of the movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. but the movie where they yeah. find Adolf Eichmann. So the, you talk about range. Yeah, yeah he's amazing. incredible. Yeah, but that is a great movie. That was one of my father's favorite movies. Uh, uh, shortly before he died, Sexy Beast. He, really, he talk, I he, loved that movie. Yeah, I think everybody Kingsley's loves that movie. Kingsley yeah, was, yeah, it's a masterpiece. Kingsley is part Who East Indian, I believe. Yeah, he's right? Indian. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, otherwise, sorry. I don't think he could have ever played Gandhi. Uh, Gaze, Glazer, something, uh, Gla- an English director. Um, last name Glazer, I think. Uh, anyway, just a superb film. I mean, What's another one? Um, believe it or not, this movie called To Live and Die in L.A. Sure. I've never yeah. seen that. I've heard yeah. of it. Jeff Bridges and... Um, yeah, it's uh, William Hurt. Uh, not William, oh, William Hurt. Uh, uh, kind of blanking. Uh, not Defoe. Yes, uh, Defoe. Anyway, the, the, it's the first one I ever saw where... The, the lead character is killed off halfway into the film. Wow. I mean, it, it's, uh, it, which you've you, you never seen before. I mean, it's, that's just an extraordinary thing to do cr- in a movie. It's a crime. You know who I, we have to wrap it up. You know who I think is a, a brilliant director? You, I, I, you probably, it's Christopher Nolan. Yeah. I mean, just, that, that's what I mean. Like, every single movie he does, no matter what it's about, whatever it is, like, whoa, like, this is a huge talent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, he's he's immensely talented. What about Black Cat, White Cat? I don't know that film. I think Costa Rica. I'm not pronouncing that. No, no. Wow. Okay. Anyway, you got a couple things coming out. Cut Man and Savage Lands. Those are those are currently in production. I'm just looking on. on Um, No, uh, they Cut Man is something I hope to start uh, shooting in in late May. 
Um, that's a very intense drama about a single mother ravaged by heroin traveling through East Texas uh, with her 10-year-old daughter looking to get back at the man who ruined her life. Wow. So you're now in, in what they call pre-production. Uh, pre-pre-production. Pre-pre-production. Would you yeah. trying to find money? Does that mean? Is that what that means? Uh, it's, it's coming in. I'm, I'm actually casting it. I'm hoping uh, Lenny Kravitz actually plays the male lead in it. Nice. So. Probably no role for me in that one. <laughs> well, <laughs> Savage Land. Second choice, uh, Dan Danner. Are, are, are you looking for a career in film? I'm looking for a paycheck, however I can get one. <laughs> um, this was, I thought, a very good discussion, Noam. I, I hope uh, you were satisfied with today's Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to make friends with anybody who's fighting the good fight against what we all uh, uh, hate that's going on in our culture. Um Anyway, I'm happy to meet you. Yeah, no, this was very enjoyable. Um, Have me back again, please. I would love to. <laughs> you live in New York City? Yeah, in Brooklyn. Oh, Williams come hang Park. out uh, down in the Olive Tree some night. Um, half off. Come, no, no, half off on Wings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, do you guys actually, Are you do you do regular stand-up as well? Well, I'm a stand-up, and Nick yeah. is a stand-up. Oh. Well, no, does stand up. No, Perry also I, started to stand up. She's a relatively newcomer, but she's making progress. And, uh, and Noam is a musician and a fine one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I would love to come check out your your routines. And also every Monday night, Noam. And last night was really crowded. I guess you guys have get, getting like a following or something. You've always had that core. Yeah, some nights are busy. Some nights. Every Monday night they perform in the in the in the restaurant. They do uh, music. That's yeah. some really good musicians. Come. Okay, cool. Um, so uh, well, come come see the comedy. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what's what night do you? Uh, and I'll I'll, yeah. I'll be in touch with you. I'll give you okay. information. I'll invite you down. Okay. Um, yeah. there's, there's a lot of uh, interesting people. Um, Writers and and uh, intellectual types that hang out regularly down here as well. You intellectual. You might you like you know be fun to hang out. That's what Tracy Morgan once said to me. I like to make you laugh. You is intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> podcast at comedycellar dot com. Again, as Noam announced at the top of the podcast, we really want to know what what you like best, what you don't like best about this podcast to make it as good as it can be. Uh, Perry Alashian, Brand, thank you. Nick Griffin, thank you. Noam, thank you. And Michael Miller, especially, thank you. And we'll see you soon uh, next week on Live from the Table. Thank you so much. Ba -da -ba -ba -da -ba -ba. <laughs>